I look at it as feeling afraid because you're never going to get around that part. Diving in anyway, because, you know, what do you want to do? Stay stuck? Not the most appealing option. And I think that everybody who does the first two where they feel afraid and they dive in anyway is going to transform at least a little bit. Even if you don't make it to the like big vision goal, you're going to hit on this place where you go, oh, I've seen that I can actually withstand the leaning into the discomfort. And that expands. What ends up happening is that the courage comes about when the circle of your comfort zone just gets wider and wider and wider. And what you're comfortable with just gets wider and wider and wider. By comfort, of course, I don't mean putting up with people's crappy behavior. I mean comfort as in, um, well, I'll just give it, a, you know, within the past year, I've started two podcasts. I, I, I didn't have, you know, people comment, oh, wow, you know, was that really scary? It's like, no, it's not. I've, I've been interviewed a gazillion times. I've recorded audios to go with programs. The podcast just felt like a natural extension of that. But the first time I ever recorded an audio, oh my God, I, I'm sure it took me 10 times as long as it would now. The first time I was ever interviewed for a podcast, oh my God, I was, you know, sweating buckets, you know, but now I can just sit here and talk. And now I can just sit here and plug in my equipment and riff on courage for my own podcast or talk about the coaching industry for my other podcast. And it, um, you know, and launching them didn't feel like a thing. Why? Because, because I've launched a gazillion things now, but the first time I launched something, oh my God, it felt like, you know, it felt like, uh, felt like slowly taking off my clothing in in a packed (laughs) arena, you know, it was, it was painful. Welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast, a show about creative female entrepreneurs and the businesses they've built. I'm your host, Naomi Mdudu, the Lifestyle Edit founder, business strategist, and coach to creative female founders ready to scale their businesses with intention. Each week, I sit down with a guest to pull back the curtain on the strategies successful entrepreneurs are implementing to scale their income and increase their impact. We are cutting out the fluff to give you weekly insights to uplevel your mindset and tap into your infinite potential to create a life and business you love on your own terms. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now let's begin. Kate, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I was just saying before we got on air that I've just been so excited to have this conversation with you. I've plowed through so many other podcast interviews that you've done and your work has just resonated with me so profoundly that I really wanted to have you on the show so that everybody listening could also um, get some of the nuggets of wisdom that I've been lucky enough to get by consuming the work that you do. Um, But I wanted to kind of kickstart this conversation just by going back and just learning a little bit more about your backstory that's kind of led you to do the work that you do. Because I think it's really easy to go into all of the incredible insights straight away, but I think it's important for people to be reminded that we just we don't just all come out of the womb mastering this stuff. So, <laughs> no. take me back. Um, how far back you want to go? You tell me where. What What was the kind of um, inflection point that kind of set you on this journey of doing the work that you do? 
Mm. Well, I mean, okay. So I think the moment when I realized this is something that I really want to do with my life was actually, um, it, it has to do with Italy, which I, you know, all great stories do. Right. Um, so I, I basically, I was, I was working this, you know, job that only paid about $30,000 a year living in the San Francisco Bay area, which like rent wow. alone in the San Francisco Bay area back when, back when I was doing this, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm now a dinosaur because this was over a decade ago, but, um, back when I was working for those kinds of wages, um, you know, rent on my, my studio was like almost a thousand dollars a month. So 30 grand a year and <laughs> 12 of that was rent. So, um, not a lot of money, but I got this crazy idea in my head that I wanted to spend a summer traveling around Europe. And specifically, I really wanted to go to Italy and, I mean, there, it, it was kind of a ludicrous thought for me to even think, but um, I, I just got it in my head that there had to be some way to do it. And I saved up every dime I had and I took on little extra projects wherever I could. I took on extra work anywhere that I could. I still had to pay rent on my place back in, you know, the Bay Area because, you know, otherwise I'd lose my apartment and not have anywhere to come back to. So basically, I suddenly stumbled upon this idea that if I were to book a gig writing about what I was doing, then my travels would they'd still cost a lot of money, but they'd be a business expense. Um, and so I got some gigs writing and um, ended up finding an editor who was into my idea of writing a couple articles about couch surfing and about um, getting, getting around Europe and, um, especially doing it on the cheap, which is always a, um, great topic for people. And so I was crowd surf, uh, couch surfing and I, um, ended up also reaching out to some four and five star hotels. Like we're talking on the Island of Capri luxury hotels wow. <laughs> all over and, and said, Hey, I'm writing this article. <laughs> do you have a media accommodation and got ended up getting put up in a bunch of these five star hotels. And, um, I, I, you know, I ended up falling in love with Italy. Um, a couple years later I made a trip back and I, at that time was, um, posting on Facebook about how I was having such a great time. And in, you know, it was a great gift. I didn't like it at the time, but it was a great gift that somebody came along and, and made one of those wet blanket comments about how not everyone can do that. And um, the person who was speaking was somebody who, you know, this is the gift of it. I happen to know was somebody who made three times as much money as me, plus had a partner who was making money, plus lived in a part of the country that was not nearly as expensive as the Bay Area, plus had paid time off wow. um, here. And I didn't have paid time off through the job that I had at that time. And it was just one of those moments where the dots connected that the only difference between her and me was that I had been really willing to lean into my discomfort around what if I couldn't afford this? What if this didn't work out? Work out? What if I was the first person in the history of the world who like went to Europe and didn't have a good time or, you know, like all this stuff. And once I made that connection, then I started going in hindsight 
And it was like, oh, there are all these places in my life where anytime I've made the choice to lean into my discomfort, to do it even though I was afraid, things worked out really well for me. And it was that kind of a thing where like once I saw my life through that, that lens, through those glasses, I, I, there you go. It was just like, oh my God, it, it felt really rev- revelatory. Yes, yes. And I I love that you said that. And it's by consuming, you know, your work, Elizabeth Gilbert, Brene Brown, that it's, you know, it's changed the whole idea of courage of being this kind of absence of fear. But like you said, feeling the discomfort, feeling the fear, but doing it anyway. So you had this kind of transformative moment. What next? Hmm. Hmm. Such a good question. I mean, uh, okay, so at the time that that comment was made, um, I had already become a coach, but it was like this little side project because it, I'm sure given your work, you probably hear this a lot. It, it was the whole voice of, I don't know anything about business. I, you know, I don't have an MBA. Like there's no way this is ever going to become a business. What, what do I know about Sorry, it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's this whole thing of thinking that you have to have training or an MBA to be an entrepreneur, which I'm, you know, is really funny because actually going to get your MBA will not teach you from what I understand from people I've spoken with who have their MBAs. It won't really give you anything that you need to know about bootstrapping it as an entrepreneur. It's more of like the corporate MBA that you learn. Um, so, so it was that kind of stuff. So I had had a coaching, I had already become certified as a coach. Um, but it was just a very, like, I I was blogging at the time and it was like, sure, I'll, I'll see some clients on the side. Well, I don't think it's a total coincidence that within six months of that trip, I went, oh, this is actually what I want to do with my life. Like, this is actually what I want to be my career. And in the, I think I made the connection that in the same way that when I leaned into my discomfort, around this trip and and all the risk that that involved because it did you know involve some some real financial risk in the sense that you know I didn't have a backup plan I'm not a trust fund baby um I'm not I'm not being derogatory towards trust fund babies I envy all of you um <laughs> but but that's just not my circumstance and so I I had to make ends meet. I had to still bring in rent when I got back from that trip, but I had this big, big dream. And so, you know, I think I just went, look, life is too short and I really want to do this work. This is what I want to do with my life. I don't want to look back and go, yeah, I, I, I played it safe. I just, this is what I want to lean into. And I was really making the connection that Every move I'd ever made, it, you know, the courage I had practiced had never been that I was just like, oh, I'm so great and I never fear anything. It was the courage of going, I'm scared shitless, but you know what? I got to do this. Oh, if it works out, how great would it be? Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because I feel like now a lot of these topics are kind of a part of the public, the, the social discourse. We're all kind of talking about it, but I can imagine that that wasn't nece- it wasn't necessarily as much when you first got started how did you start acquiring you know your first few customers and because i think it it's funny i even I'm, i talk to my friends about this and you know even potential clients and it always shocks me i guess because i'm a coach i'm seeing it from that perspective but 
we're so willing to invest in every other area of our lives, but our, then our minds, our mental health mm-hmm. and our own personal development. You know, you want to learn yoga, you pay, you know, you go to yoga, you go to a yoga class or whatever, everything else you want to get better skin. And that's a real, something that you really value. You go to a dermatologist, but people get so triggered when it comes to investing in their own minds and development, how were you managing that when you were getting your coaching practice set up? Mm-hmm. Well, I think a couple of things. So first you're right that, you know, um, this was back in 2008, I think. And at that time in particular, like the whole like F fear, become fearless, you know, and that still is there today, but there's less of it. Um, and at the time, how I got into that conception of fear was was actually Buddhist psychology. So I, I read Pema Chodron. Um, I would meditate at the local Zen Buddhist temple and stay for their talks. And the Buddhists have been rocking it for years, um, talking about how we don't get rid of fear, but we learn how to work with fear. And I feel really fortunate in that way. Um, okay, so how did I find clients? Well, I think that I found clients because I was speaking to something really real. So I think anyone who's ever attracted to my work is somebody who already really gets that this whole figure out how to fight fear, tell fear to F off, you know, like all the things that you see on the memes, kick fear's ass. Um, You know, it just doesn't work. If it worked, it would have worked by now because we've all done it. We've all done it for years. So I think people saw something really real. But the other thing that I think is important, well, I guess there are two things, is that I had been like personal journal style blogging prior to becoming a coach. So in that way, I had already started to build an audience um, and and that audience trust. And I mean, in 2008, it was still reasonably, considered reasonably nerdy to be doing any kind of personal blogging online. You know, it's just like... You know, it's still the the stereotype of like the balding guy <laughs> in the bedroom, living yeah. in his mother's garage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like that's still what people p- thought of bloggers. In in fact, in two thousand eight or two thousand nine, I can't remember which year, but it was around that time. I went to a writers' conference, um, and there were these you know established, beautiful literary writers sitting up on a panel, and I remember you know people asking them questions and about how they got published and da, da, da. And one of them had the mic and is sitting there going like, and these days you've got these people called, what is it called? Bloggers. And they're like, you know, just putting their drivel on the internet. And I remember sitting in that audience and feeling, you know, my face flushing and feeling like, can anyone tell that I'm one of those bloggers putting the drivel on the internet? (laughs) You know, and now of course, if you're a writer, even if you're a fiction writer, you probably aren't going to get a contract unless you're willing to blog. You know, like that's considered an established part of the marketing model. So I like to say we were cutting edge, but in reality, in 2008, we were like considered to be the losers living in somebody's basement who couldn't pay rent. But basically that, you know, that was one thing I had going for me. The other thing though, that I think I had going for me is that pretty quickly by following my own delight, I was diversifying my business model. 
What if I told you that I have a group of like-minded women to connect you with who are at a similar stage of business but with different strengths and challenges? Women who are ambitious and ready to do the hard work like you, who you could crowdsource your ideas with and get constructive feedback in a safe, confidential space. What if I told you that you could tap into this group, not only for support and accountability, but for insights into the strategies that are working and in real time? That's what the TLE Accountability Circle is all about. It's a monthly membership community for entrepreneurs who want to learn from like-minded founders and be held accountable for taking steps to realize their goals. Take your business and impact to the next level and transform your mindset in this amazing group. Apply today via the link in our show notes. So, you know, I had one-on-one clients, but I also was like, I want to do a course. And I conceived of this online course called The Courageous Year. Um, I, I pretty quickly turned that course by, 20, by late 2009, early 2010, I think. I might be getting some of the years wrong. This is what happens when you've been an entrepreneur for so many years. It's like, what year did I do that? It's, you know, pretty quickly, I turned that course into a digital downloadable program called the Courageous Living Program. That program, which I update annually, is, is what's still on my site. Um, so I began diversifying my business model pretty quickly. And so it wasn't just relying on clients. It was also, I'm doing group coaching. It was also, um, I, I have passive income offerings. Um, so, so that's one thing that I would say. And I, I worked the salary job. I did not just quit my job and go straight into entrepreneurship. I tried to quit my job. In fact, a total, I took a, a leave each time, a total of three times. And had to go back to it the first two. And it was the third time when I had finally built up enough of a business that it quote unquote took. Yeah. And I was able to just leave it behind. So I think there's a real misperception in the online world about how fast you can really get up and going and, and all that stuff. You're so right. And I think one of the other common misconceptions is that you get to a certain place and the ickiness stops. I'm uh-huh, now having uh-huh. to learn that you constantly have to brace the ickiness. Every time you're up leveling, it brings up more of your stuff. What have been some of the, the as your business has grown, have there been, have you kind of, can you look back and see whether some of those stages of up leveling has kind of brought up some of your stuff and how have you worked through that? Oh my God, every stage of up leveling <laughs> has brought up my that stuff. Makes better. And I mean, I'm going through it right now. I, I literally just yesterday had a conversation with my husband where I, I just, I don't think I mean it when I say it, but I, you know, I was just like, I don't know how much longer I can take this. Like that phrase comes out when my fear is really up and, and the up leveling that's happening now is I'm, um, you know, pulling together a team and it's new territory for me to actually have, you know, one person handling my social media and one person who's kind of the program coordinator for my various programs. And then I'm in here and then, you know, my, my husband is my graphic designer and I'm trying to get them all to communicate with one another. Um, Not like, not like they're unwilling to do that or anything like that. They're, they're all wonderful people, but just like each of them, everybody's thinking about what they need to do. And I'm thinking about the bigger picture. And 
you know, a book that I don't, I don't take this book as gospel, but I think it had some great insights was the E-Myth Revisited. Yeah. Um, Love that book. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm transitioning from being, I'm forgetting the names he assigns to everything, but I'm transitioning from being the manager, the technician. Yeah. The technician. I'm like, I've been a technician and, and then I've been a manager and, but, and I, I've done the thing exactly like he describes in that book where I, at one point I only hired one person who was supposed to almost sort of be the new me, yeah. but nobody can manage everything. And then that person started to drop the ball all over the place. Yeah. And then that was super awkward and weird because I needed to fire someone and I had never fired anyone before. And, um, and I really liked the person and, and still still do like the person. Um, and so that was super awkward. And, and it's just now it's like, um, you know, I, I've published my first book with a traditional publisher. Um, and, and my business is like, I I think of it as being, well, there are two kind of metaphors I guess I've been using. I feel like my business is kind of like an octopus and like all those little legs are like moving around and you're kind of like, (laughs) hold on a minute, sit still, stop moving, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) Um, and then the other thing that, that it is, is, I mean, you know, the organizational practices of my business, the files, everything right down to how I name files has been the equivalent for over a decade now of like throwing things into a closet (laughs) so that it won't be on the floor. And then you need something. So you go digging through the closet and you get the thing you need. But while you're in there digging around, you're like, wow, this is like super disorganized. What is this even doing in here? I didn't even remember that I put this in here. It is so I need to get this organized. But then you're, you're going, I don't have time to organize this whole closet now. Come on, you know, that's, and, and so then you keep going and I'm just sitting here and it's like, okay, like my, my graphics, my Google drive, my email, my base camp, my, like all my systems that I use, um, for everything. Like it actually has to all be pulled out of the closet. And it's a very difficult time for me in all of this because as things are getting pulled out of the closet, I'm getting decision fatigue, um, just which is really normal, just making so many decisions over and over and over about keep this, delete this, use this, delegate this. What's the priority? What's not the priority operationally? How do we keep this from getting lost over here again? Like that's seven, eight decisions I'm needing to make, you know, just about one item and it's decision fatigue. So it's very like, I I get, I get really stressed about it. And I mean, I understand it as a normal part of the growth process to turn it back to how do you get through that? It's like, this is what it looks like. Nobody gets through sorting through 10 years of their business without going, what, what the hell is in here? (laughs) You know, um, it's just, yeah. So I've, I've had, um, a beloved member of my team who has done facilitation work for my coach training, um, came on board and with some of the back end stuff and started helping me write an operations manual. Um, and I so appreciate that from her because she's seen both sides of what I do. So she has a great place to do it, but she has more time than I do. Yeah. And, um, I'm just, you know, that's what it is. It's just taking one step at a time. I'm moving my website to finally having like one of those host host plans where like 
you pay someone a small fee each month and they just like manage it. They just manage the tech. Oh my God, I've done that too. It's a game changer. I'm just like to never get, never again get a note from my host where they're like, we're making some server upgrades and we're going to need you to go into your name server and update the, for the DNS, for the firewall, for the blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I mean, I kind of know what you just said to me, but do I really really. need to? And I resent that I have to take an hour out of my day to figure it out. So that's the stuff that I'm doing now. And it's very expensive and I am not necessarily making more money yet to cover what it will be. Um, And so it's stressful and I'm trusting that it's going to work out and that it's going to be okay. And that I have it in me to course correct where I need to be. Now that opens up though a whole other discussion that trust that I can course correct that willingness to sit with the discomfort of it, the, mindset that this is part of a necessary process that to me is like the the, what you see on the surface and what's happening underneath is all the stuff from the courage habit oh it's so true so there there are two things that i want to unpack there um first of all is that sitting with the discomfort so we know that we should be doing that intellectually For someone who has been buffering and been avoiding that hard stuff, where should they even start? Mm -hmm. Accessing the body. Because we make most of our decisions about fear, not based on any kind of logic, but based on how we feel. It's like, um, I guess you could liken it to, um, not everybody has this, but I seem to, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had this feeling of like, wait a second, did I actually transfer that money into my checking account? Like, and it's a feeling, it's not a logical thing because in my head, if you ask me logically, I feel like I, or I I can visualize a picture of myself going into my checking account and transferring the money before I pay the bill. But it's this feeling that comes through me of like, did I do that? And then, you you know, I go check and it's like, oh shit, I didn't do that. All right. Got to hurry. Just transfer the money really quick. So I forgot to do that. It's that kind of a thing. It's like, you know, like you, 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 re- you react to the things in your life based on how you feel rather than based on logic. So it's developing somatic awareness and somatic awareness is an actual thing. It's the ability to tell the difference between, um, you know, the, the kind of fear that's like, this is just not a good idea. And the kind of fear that's like, I'm really scared that this is not a good idea, but oh my God, I, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to do it. And those are two very different types of fear. And the hard part for most people is, is and I have a blog post about this, about discernment, um, in which I say, like, the hard part about this is that the only way to learn discernment is through effing up discernment. Like there, you, you don't get around that. You just don't like, have I made business decisions that have cost my business money? Like a lot of money. Yeah. Have I partnered with the wrong people and been betrayed? Yeah. And every single time I had some kind of somatic signal about what felt right for me. Um, and I ignored it 
or I went, oh, it doesn't mean that, it means this. But, you know, that's the thing, you know, you put that attention on the signals your body is giving you and you're going to mess it up at first while you're trying to figure it all out. But then you start to get more like, oh, okay, this isn't like me being insecure and, and, you know, as I'm getting into a new relationship, this is actually a red flag that this person isn't trustworthy. And you start to figure out the difference between the two. Yeah, I think that part of it is that the whole intuition side of things has been, has almost been pushed down in this current climate where we glorify hustle and pushing um, so much. And, you know, I've had that in the past sometimes where even, for example, on a call with a potential partner, potential client, I have nothing concrete to say why I don't think it's the right fit other than I can feel the knot in my stomach. Like this just does Mm -hmm. not feel right. But again, in this kind of push, grow at any cost kind of culture, it's so easy to ignore that because it seems like one of the the softer skills or the, you know, it's not tangible enough. Um, so that's why I think it's really important that there are people like you, you know, Danielle Laporte, Barry Tesla that are having these conversations. I love Barry talks about the body check-in. Um, mm-hmm. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something you just listed women and, um, yes. I think that there's a, that, the, that it's patriarchal. I mean, imagine being, and, and, and to, to do the litmus test of that, it's like, just imagine, you know, being a woman in a boardroom full of other men and saying, you guys, I just have a gut feeling that this is not the right. <laughs> yeah. You're going to go on the gut. Please, <laughs> the male projections here say that they're have, have had threefold growth and, and we're supposed to trust your gut. <laughs> you know, like go get a cup of tea, you know, like that's probably what people would say. Uh, A lot of, a hell of a lot of men would say. And, and as women, um, you know, I would definitely say, or I'll speak for myself as a woman, I definitely got conditioned around a lot of that, even though my parents never directly conditioned that into me, we still pick it up from the culture. It's the soup that we are all swimming in. It's kind of hard not to, you know, it's definitely, so before we start getting into the the courage habit, I think it's worth kind of explaining what courage means as a starting point. How do you define courage? I look at it as feeling afraid because you're never going to get around that part. Diving in any way because, you know, what do you want to do? Stay stuck? Not the most appealing option. And transforming. And I think that everybody who does the first two where they feel afraid and they dive in anyway is going to transform at least a little bit. Even if you don't make it to the like big vision goal, you're going to hit on this place where you go, oh, I've seen that I can actually withstand the leaning into the discomfort. And that expands. What ends up happening is that the courage comes about when you know, the circle of your comfort zone just gets wider and wider and wider. And what you're comfortable with just gets wider and wider and wider. By comfort, of course, I don't mean putting up with people's crappy behavior. I mean, comfort as in, um, well, I'll just give it, a, you know, within the past year, I've started two podcasts. And um, 
I, I, I didn't have, you know, people comment, oh, wow, you know, was that really scary? It's like, no, it's not. I've, I've been interviewed a gazillion times. I've recorded audios to go with programs. The podcast just felt like a natural extension of that. But the first time I ever recorded an audio, oh my God, I, I'm sure it took me 10 times as long as it would now. The first time I was ever interviewed for a podcast, oh my God, I was, you know, sweating buckets. You know, but now I can just sit here and talk and now I can just sit here and plug in my equipment and riff on courage for my own podcast or talk about the coaching industry for my other podcast. And it, um, you know, and launching them didn't feel like a thing. Why? Because, because I've launched a gazillion things now, but the first time I launched something, oh my God, it felt like, you know, it felt like, uh, felt like slowly taking off my clothing in (laughs) in a packed (laughs) arena, you know? It was, it was painful. <laughs> so um, that's what it looks like when you start to feel more courage. Um, would it be really, really intimidating for me to go on TV? Yeah, I've never done that before, <laughs> right? So like the, the, the comfort zone expands, but the first time is the first time. And it, it takes time to, to really gain that. And then I think there's resilience that develops too. Now, there is actually, I discovered in writing The Courage Habit, a psychology of courage, which I thought was really cool. And if you want to get like super technical, the psychology of courage actually differentiates between moral courage and um, moral courage being like the courage to stand up for what is right. So like Kaepernick, Martin Luther King Jr., um, many other activists. Um, and then there's, I'm forgetting the, the technical name of it, but basically the kind of courage that people who, uh, may not be courageous in other parts of their lives might harness, however, to run into a burning building and save someone's life or, you know, something like that. And then there's emotional courage and emotional courage is my particular domain. How are we emotionally courageous and resilient in our lives? Oh, I love that. So talk me through that, that process that you kind of walk clients through. What are some of the steps that you, that you kind of support them through to start taking more courageous action? Well, um, I'll, I'll give a hypothetical example related to business since that's your, your jam. Um, first, I think it's really important to start with vision. And in the courage habit, I talk about your most courageous self. And this is not necessarily loud and flashy. And I give some examples in the book of what kind of a more visual flashy courage looks like. And I give an example of what a like really introverted, um, courageous behavior looks like. And, but either way, your most courageous self is who you are when you're not letting fear limit what's possible for you. Um, The fear comes up, it just doesn't limit what's possible for you. So in business, it would be somebody going, you know, if I were really stepping into being my most courageous self, I would pitch that person on my idea. Or I would try to get magazine coverage and be more visible, visible. Or I would connect with that other entrepreneur, or I would write the book that I know I have in me, or I would found the um, nonprofit initiative that I know I want to accompany my startup. And I wouldn't tell myself, who are you to do it? Da, da, da. You know, like I would, I would, I would really do this, even if those voices came up. So like go into vision first, most courageous self. But I don't think we can go from vision to okay, now I'm just going to practice <laughs> courageous habits. I think we actually have to understand 
how we have been dealing with fear and what our fear patterns look like. And in the research I did for the book and in my own clinical experience, the four predominant patterns that I have identified are, and these are fear-based patterns. So they become habits, they become ways of being that we don't even realize we're doing. And they are perfectionism, people-pleasing, which I call martyrdom, pessimism, and self-sabotage. And the way habits work in the brain is we, we have a cue, there's a routine, and then there's a reward. So in the brain, if you go, it's time to write that book that's in me or pitch that client, and your fear comes up, if your fear pattern is running the show and you're not paying attention, you will go into one of those routines, perfectionism, people-pleasing, pessimism, self-sabotage. And you might go, well, to get what reward? What's the reward for any of those? The reward for the brain is whatever decreases stress the fastest. So if I have the dream of pitching the client, but I go into pessimism, they would never like my idea anyway, then the intimidation factor goes down. And that's yeah, the brain's reward. Yes, you're in that comfort zone. You're in that safety. Um, and so what I'm talking about when I talk about the courage habit is I'm talking about how do you interrupt that fear-based habit and replace that routine with one of the courage habit behaviors. And these are research-backed behaviors that promote courage and resilience. And that's accessing the body, listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, and reaching out and creating community. How do you swap one for the other? Oh, that is so good. That is so good. And it goes back, I guess, to what you were saying is, you know, that the more that you're you're challenging these associations and being intentional with that time, the easier it is to replace them with healthier kind of um, habits. And the more you do those habits, it just becomes part and parcel of your life. I was reading, um, I was in Italy recently, funnily enough. um, And I was reading The One Thing by Gary Keller. And Mm. he was saying that, yeah, the more, once, once it becomes a habit, people say, oh, there's so much willpower. The willpower goes. It's about sticking to it for long enough that you establish that habit. So like you were saying with you know, podcasts and interviews and things like that, you've practiced leaning into that discomfort so often now that the association has changed. So you no longer require willpower to, to do that. You've got it. Absolutely. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm, you know, and it's a, it's a hard thing, as you know, being in the online sphere and people say things and, and, you know, they mean different things. And when I talk about becoming more courageous, you know, I, I'm always aware that on some level for a lot of people, it sounds like a tagline. And I want to be like, no, no, I'm really talking (laughs) about rewiring your brain in a conscious, intentional way. Um, and you're going to emerge on the other side of that going, I have this ability to totally be scared shitless like like I mean literally to feel fear running through my body and then go okay hold on breathe Ooh, access the body that's breathing you know and then that that somatic awareness gets honed every time you're accessing the body and going what is it I'm feeling right now and then listening without attachment and when my head is going 
you've never run a team before, Kate, you know, like, come on, you you like, and, and do you even want to run a team? What do you, wait, you didn't get a business to run a team. Why do you even, you know, like my fear wants to make it all or nothing, right? Like, as if yeah. the only thing I'll ever do with my time is run a team. Um, and you, you literally just heard me when I said, as if, um, reframe limiting stories. So it's like my fear kicks in with all the things, but I got to listen without attachment. I got to listen without going, the fear is right or true. And then reframe the limiting stories. Okay. You know what? The fear is afraid. I'm afraid that, um, I'm going to spend all of my time running a team. And that's not really what I want to do. I want to write and I want to talk to Naomi and I want to like, (laughs) you know, do all these things that have nothing to do with admin. Um, But you know what, that's not what all of this is going to be because when everybody on the team is like in place and as my comfort zone with this grows, it's going to be my new normal. Totally. And then reaching out and creating community. I mean, that's anything from talking to you about it, talking to my friends about it to, you know, maybe even doing the really hard vulnerable stuff and talking to members of my team about it and just saying, Hey, I need to let you know. This is yeah. new for me. I'm in a transitional moment in my business. I'm not going to do it perfectly. That's a good segue actually, because just as you were talking, I was thinking to myself that it's easy to um, continue to lean into the, the habit that you're trying to be intentional about where you're boosting your confidence because you're having a good track record. You've tried something, it's worked, you do it a bit more, you've, it's worked, you're doing it a bit more. Um, what do we do when things go sideways and we have a misstep or we embrace failure and we we have a a moment that we deem failure? How can we reframe the way that we, um, we deal with that? Well, I, I mean, I return to personally the courage habit steps again and again, but this time really thinking about instead of it being the courage to achieve the goal, it's the courage to give myself radical self-compassion. So it's like, let's say I fail and it's totally my mistake. And it's literally one of those times where I, I can see the fork in the road. And if I had gone left instead of right or vice versa, it, everything would have been different for my business, or at least logically what one can ascertain. Cause of course nobody ever knows for sure. It's accessing the body. It's actually sitting down and practicing what I call conscious crying. So like, and in my life, some of the things I do for emotional health, not just in business, but, um, are, are, you know, processing out wounding or old stuff. And, and it's like sitting down and like putting on sad music and consciously crying for that 15 minutes or, or whatever it is. And I do that because I think that we all carry around something of a metaphorical emotional balloon. And I got this idea, um, it was first described to me by the Challenge Day organization. They do anti-bullying work. And they talk about how people's you know, metaphorical emotional balloons, they get full and they get full and they get full. And they talk about this in association with bullying. What, you know, The kids who get bullied, their balloons get really full. And so then what happens to a balloon when it gets really full? It either leaks or it explodes. And so... Mm. I think this is a really apt metaphor for what happens to many of us on a daily basis. We have all the stress coming in. We're looking at the disgrace that is the current presidency in America and the trampling of people's rights. Mm -hmm. We are trying to pay our bills. 
We are trying to figure out how to treat the people in our lives with love and compassion when they do things that are really, really hard not to like get angry at because they're human and we do those things to other people too. We are trying to just like stay healthy. We're trying to exercise. We're trying to go after our dreams. It's so much. And personally, I don't know how anyone gets through all of it with their emotional center intact if they're not doing something to access the body. And for me, that's a lot of the conscious crying. Sometimes, depending on what has been tweeted out at 3 a.m. U.S. time, (laughs) it's accessing the body by screaming into a towel, you know? Um, And I think, you know, I mean, just with, with, you know, looking at, you know, the situation with the, you know, pending Supreme Court nomination and believing survivors, I think you're seeing a lot of women who, in many ways, justifiably, you're seeing them publicly venting their balloons and saying, this is bullshit and this cannot stand and my rage is holy. And it's just all, you know, like, but this is life. If you're an entrepreneur, I'll take it back to entrepreneurship. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to have clients who flake on paying you who don't show up for their appointments, who are rude to you and you have to take their money because you don't know how you'll stay in their bi- in business otherwise, especially when you're starting out. And you're going to have all these voices as well going, who are you to do this? And if you don't have some way to access the body and vent out that emotional balloon, it all starts to pile up. And so that's what I do. Uh, you know, I treat it like a meditation practice. Oh, it's so true. And That's why I'm a firm believer, especially as entrepreneurs, that it's important for us to do this inner work and build these inner reserves because we can't control that client Mm -hmm. that's being challenging. (laughs) We can't, there's so many moving parts that we cannot control. If you don't have those inner reserves, oh my. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I mean, how, how do you develop them if you didn't get them in childhood? I mean, I... I, I, I mean, I, of course, think my parents did the best they could. Everybody always does. Um, and like, you know, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, we live in a culture, you're swimming in the soup of the culture. And, you know, I think on some cosmic level, there's, there's your own stuff that you come into the world, you know, to work out and whatever combination of that is present for you. Um, I think that it's good to adopt a growth mindset just in general of like, I, I'm always looking at who I want to be and what I want, where I want to grow. But if you didn't learn it as a kid, if you didn't learn these resilience strategies, then it is incumbent upon you to learn them as an adult. And if you don't learn them as an adult, particularly if you start getting into an arena like entrepreneurship, it will come and bite you in the ass because we take ourselves with us wherever we go. Amen. So, so true. Oh, good. Kate, I could talk to you for hours. Um, But I think it'd be a nice way to wrap up by um, rounding up if there are any kind of resources that or um, websites, any kind of um, resources that you could recommend for anybody who wants to kind of delve deeper into this work. Sure. I've I've got a couple. I mentioned... um, Buddhism earlier, and I would say Pema Chodron's book, When Things Fall Apart, is is beautiful. Um, Chodron is spelled C-H-O-D-R-O-N. Um, if I may be so bold, I recommend my own book. Of course. <laughs> the Courage Habit. You can get it on Amazon. 
Um, for business, I have to say, just I have to drop this in because you know it's you and 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 business is your is your um, forte. I love all of the books by the Strategizer Group. So, value proposition design, business model generation, um, business model you, business models for teams. Like I just there's there are these wonderful visual books that get into empathy mapping and like. I just have to recommend them since I'm on a business oriented podcast because these books have changed how I approach marketing and I'm so grateful. Um, and then I would say if anybody is very curious about this concept of accessing the body, but they feel like this is too weird for me to just like pick a moment in my home or something to cry. Um, there's this meditative process that I think is pretty much everywhere at this point called five rhythms. And it's like this meditation practice where they put you in a room and they play some music and they play some sadder music. And, you know, some people just kind of dance while the, the music's happening. You don't have to cry, but like there are some people who like use that time to cry. And it sounds really weird to think of a community, a, a room full of people where some are dancing and some are crying but it normalizes pretty quickly. I dig it. Yeah, it's it's a good situation. So, <laughs> oh, I that's so good. It. Guys, I'll put everything in the show notes so you can check those out. Um, Kate, how can people continue to learn more about you and what you do? Uh, head to yourcourageouslife.com um, or you can go to teamclcc.com to learn about the coach training that I run. And I'm Kate Courageous on Instagram and your courageous life on Facebook. Awesome. Kate, it's been so amazing having you. Thank you. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit podcast. You can download more episodes of this podcast and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up.